Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello, and welcome to Safety Talk. I am your host and personal safety expert, Pete Canavan. As always, we cover some current safety news items in the beginning of the show. And unfortunately, as always, there is always something to talk about. Uh, This week, we saw a very disturbing development in the case of a student from uh, Ole Miss, the uh, campus in Mississippi, where she has been found. Unfortunately, she's been found dead with multiple gunshot wounds. And nobody's quite sure the reason why or how this person ended up where they were. But in reading into it a bit, I guess it was a spot that students used to, would congregate at, uh, apparently possibly even two in the summertime when class wasn't in session and some sort of foul play was involved. So, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, problems with you when you're at school, but even when you're out of school and you're maybe enjoying yourself over the summer holiday uh, and the break, you still need to be vigilant about who you're with, what you're doing, make sure people know where you are if you're going to be going out and about by yourself. And, uh, you know, these sorts of things happen with all too much frequency, and it's disturbing, it's upsetting. Uh, As a parent, uh, and for all the parents out there, you know, it's your absolute worst nightmare. So do what you can to keep your sons or daughters safe. And that um, that is, of course, our number one job as parents, and we never stop trying to keep our kids safe. It doesn't matter if your kid's a year old or, you know, 50 years old. They're still your child and, you know, your job as a parent is always to keep them safe. So uh, our guest today is someone who deals with an important concern that many parents and students have, which is the same thing we're talking about here, and that is college safety. You know, college is a time when our sons and daughters go off to school. They begin to experience things for the first time. They're away from home. And sometimes that's, uh, that's not a good thing. They, uh, they aren't used to that level of, uh, you know, sort of freedom to do different things. And so as parents, we're no longer around to assist if there is a problem. You know, the child could be off, you know, uh, towns away. They could be states away. They could be on the other side of the uh, the country. They could even be studying abroad for a semester. And so all of these different things present unique challenges to the safety and well-being of our sons and daughters. So our guest today is somebody who can help us parents sleep a little bit better at night. Uh, he's a, the Director of University Safety at Missouri State University. Uh, he's a busy guy. He oversees the campus safety, uh, dispatch, and transportation services, as well as emergency management. So something that I thought was pretty um, interesting, too, is that he's also a member of the committee that developed a national standard for cross-functional emergency preparedness and response to active shooters and hostile aggressor incidents. So very interesting. I'm sure it's going to be a great show today, and it's my pleasure to welcome to Safety Talk, David Hall. David, thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me here. Absolutely. You're, you know, we're, we're so glad to have you on because, you know, improving safety and security is what we're all about here at Safety Talk, no matter what it is, personal safety, professional safety, safety of children, professionals, anybody. Uh, one of my passions is college and campus safety. Uh, my latest book, I've written a few books, is called The Ultimate Guide to College Safety. And I know the sorts of challenges that campus and university police deal with. I've seen things from the inside. You've seen all kinds of things in your tenure, I'm sure. And you'll certainly agree that it's, uh, it's always a challenge keeping students not necessarily safe from others, but sometimes from themselves. 
as well. Um, campus safety is always one of the top concerns that parents, you know, express when kids are going to school and they're looking at the different, you know, uh, reports that are out there that rate college campus safety and whatnot. And so being well-informed is going to be something that keeps our, you know, our children hopefully going to a, a school that they're going to feel safe at. They're going to have the resources in place so that if there is a problem, they'll be able to deal with that. So uh, the question is, you know, they need to ask are sometimes the questions that they don't even know the, uh, you know, what they need to ask ahead of time. So it's, then they're rightly concerned as, as you know. So you have been uh, in your position for how long you've been dealing uh, with this at this particular university? I've been here for about two and a half years and uh, have been working in higher ed, uh, having previously served in the fire service as well as an instructor um, here at the university. And so I have had a close affiliation with higher education for a number of years. So it's really, um, it is a big change for families whenever they're looking to make a decision of, well, where do I want my child to go? And, and, and certainly one of the things they look at is always the academic side and they're excited about all of it. Um, but the other big piece that we always hear from uh, families is, how safe is my child going to be? This is often the first time that they've ever stepped away uh, and been out on their own for any for an extended period of time. And uh, so parents are often concerned about that and, and uh, often a lot more concerned about it than maybe what the student is. Yeah, because, I mean, as teenagers, they think they're invincible. I mean, when we were teenagers, we thought we were invincible. It's like, yeah, 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 you know, mom and dad, they try to tell you things. But when you're 17, 18 years old, you think you know it all. And it's just, I think it's a sort of a rite of passage of every young person. Uh, and I think a lot of them come back to the realization that, you know, when they're 16, 17, 18, maybe they think, you know, their parents don't know anything. And by the time they get to be maybe 25 or 30, they're like, wow, you know, my, my parents got a lot smarter in the last 10 years or so, <laughs> you know, and it's not Boy, that. that. Is, that's, that is absolutely the truth. And so one of the messages for parents is they will get through with uh, through that and uh, they will look back and uh, it does come back around. So there's, there's hope at the light of that, uh, at the end of that tunnel. Absolutely. So with different college campuses, obviously we have campuses in different areas. Some are in a more rural setting, some are, you know, more in a city type setting. And, you know, we look at these different campuses and just like in real estate, I mean, you know, we hear location, 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 okay? Uh, would you say the same is true with regard to safety for college and university campuses? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it really is one of those. And it's really, uh, and it's not just about uh, if you have something that's uh, maybe in a large metropolitan urban area versus a rural. Uh, it's about also the location within an area that you're at. Uh, so it, that's an important factor to be able to consider is uh, whenever your, your student is, whenever you're going to be making that decision where you want your student to go to campus, uh, part of the safety that they're looking at is uh, what's the area that we have that they're at? So it can make a difference. If you're from a, a rural community, you may feel much more comfortable in them going to a school that's more in a rural setting, and that could be anywhere across the country. Uh, if, if your student has been raised in an urban environment, they'll probably feel more comfortable actually in an urban environment because they, they're used to mass transit and, and other things. Um, Part of that, though, is that can be mitigated certainly by um, protective measures. So, it, um, if you look at it, uh, I look at it not even as much of of the 
is the general safety, that's one thing, or the general location, but really it's more of the specific location. You can certainly have areas that are very safe within certain areas uh, of, uh, of a community, and you can have others that are not as safe within that. So, you know, look at specifically where is the campus located within a specific community, regardless of where it's at uh, nationally. And then there's certain protective measures. So, for example, is they may have fencing that goes around it. They may have security uh, that uh, helps mitigate that whenever somebody comes on campus. So those are all things that um, colleges and universities that are in higher crime areas can, can mitigate that. One of the things that I'm seeing a lot, uh, I've, I've been to a few different safety shows recently. I was out at the uh, ISC West show in Las Vegas in April. I just came back from the Safe Schools Conference in California last week. And what we're seeing a lot is an emphasis on the communications aspect, on the mass communications and how to get the word out when there's a problem, how to get information to the students, alerting them of procedures to do based on what's happening, whether it's something that's a man-made disaster or it's some sort of natural disaster, you know, sheltering in place or evacuating to a certain area. Uh, with regard to how, how, how important do you feel that is with a parent's decision in that, you know, what sort of communications systems are in place to keep those, you know, our children, the students, as well as the faculty and everybody else involved, uh, informed when, when something happens? Yeah, those mass notification systems, this is something that every campus struggles with. We often are spread out over a larger geographic area. It's more than just one or two buildings. And so you've got all different layers of um, communications you have to consider. So uh, how is it that you communicate for the event of a fire? Now, generally, that's done through a fire alarm. So, um, you know, what, what types of systems do they have in place for that? And second thing is, what about those who are driving to campus? So if there's an emergency on campus that we may want them to stay away, do they have the ability to send out, for example, a, a text alert or a phone call to the student's cell phones? Um, you know, that's a, a wide area type uh, notification system. Or what about students whenever they're just out walking across campus? Do they have things such as a, um, a, a wide array speaker system, which then can be used to uh, communicate information, safety information, in order to move away from a particular area or that there's some type of emergency occurring on campus? Um, you know, the first step in uh, prevention um, once an incident has occurred uh, of you becoming involved in that is, first of all, is recognizing that there is an emergency. And the second step of that is getting that communicated. So uh, that's an essential foundation. And it's important for parents to really look at what does the school offer in the types of notification systems. There's a whole wide array of that. And, and uh, it should be a layered approach rather than is, well, we only use text alerts because we know that's not necessarily always uh, a, a, a uh, end-all and be-all of communicating. There's a lot of different layers that you need within that based on the type of emergency. Sure. One of the things you mentioned, and, and really I hadn't really thought much about, but would be like a PA system, you know, something that's on campus where, you know, because people have their headphones in, right? They don't hear. Yeah. Maybe they, they have the, the alerts, you know, for texts silenced on their phones and not out hearing it. So you may need some sort of loud alarm that grabs their attention if they're walking on campus that's going to be able to penetrate, you know, their earbuds that have the music cranking or whatever they happen to be listening to. Uh, so that's something that 
I don't really hear of many campuses having that sort of thing. I think they, and that's sort of an old school approach that could be extremely effective, especially if there is some sort of problem with the technology behind a mass communication system that relies specifically on, say, text alerts. Right. And and I would say is it's even beyond that. I mean, one is they can use these speaker array systems which cover campuses. And it's really a spin-off from the old siren system that we use for tornadoes or tsunamis and other type systems. Uh, but this can be used for a wide range of types of emergency, whatever that might be, and it can give specific information to those that are outside. And, uh, other, there's other technology that can be brought into the, the campus as well. So, for example, is the ability to be able to pop up a, a an alert notification for any um, computer that's hooked up to the campus's network, whether that's wirelessly or through uh, the hardwired network. It can pop up and say there's an emergency. It's very quick, and everybody's got their face buried in their screen this day. That's often uh, a more efficient way to be able to get a message out than even like a text message, which has to be routed through um, um, third-party carriers and things such as that. So uh, there's a lot of options out there. There's uh, things where they can take over uh, the data projectors in classrooms. And there's uh, one of the things I would encourage people to look at is the in-building notification, uh, whereas before we always had a fire alarm that you could hear go off and, and it then they added strobes to it numbers of years back. Well, now instead some of the systems that they're coming out is they'll have different colors in order to identify the difference between whether it's a fire or whether maybe it's an active shooter or, or some other type. So it gives both a visual representation as well as an audible representation about this is the emergency that's going on. No, I think that's a great, great uh, approach because having something, like you said, somebody's face is already on the screen, whether it's on a computer, whether it's on their phone, you know, they're, they're doing something, they're scrolling through, you know, one of their social media, you know, apps, and then all of a sudden there's a problem that notification comes up, it comes up right in front of everything, they can't ignore it, right? Yep. Um, and of course, we have to be judicious about how much you use it, because then when it's used too much, then everybody, you know, like anything else, you just, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, and you cancel and you close it. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's amazing how so many of these systems are now tying together. They're tying together with camera systems, they're tying together with, uh, you know, the door lock systems and the security, the actual physical security on the campus. And so technology is really, I mean, I'm, I'm an IT consultant. I, this is what I've been doing for a long, long time. And it's amazing to me to see, even now, how things move forward so rapidly. It's like, what was there today? Man, tomorrow, it's going to be totally different. And it's exciting, but it's also frustrating, you know? It, it is. It's a two-edged sword for that. You know, you're seeing some of the technology. I mean, there's such a wide range of technology, uh, everything from gunshot detection, so it can pinpoint um, with systems that are built in and be able to pinpoint whenever there's a shot fired from a gun and automatically be able to set off alerts and advise people what to do within those areas uh, or, or other types of safety systems or automatically notify law enforcement. And there's just really a lot out there. You know, of course, some of that also is there's always concern of, of failure within technology. And uh, you can add complexity to systems, which then uh, it becomes less effective. So there's always that balance between those uh, of, of you know, when is technology right and when is it not right to use? 
Right. And especially when you're dealing with something that might take down infrastructure, like if you've got floods, you've got tornadoes, the cell towers are going down, you know, there may not be that same level of service that you're used to. So if you're trying to rely on something like that for getting that communication out, it, it may fail. And, you know, that's where some of these newer technologies like mesh networking come into play, where you have the ability to talk between two devices. You don't need the network. You don't need to be on Wi-Fi. If my phone can see your phone, that communication can bounce from mine to yours to the next to the next. And eventually, hopefully it gets to somebody who has service that then now that notification can go out through the internet or something like that. So yeah, it's a, it's interesting because it, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I, I eat it up, but at the same time, it's, I know it's frustrating for people when they're trying to implement a system because, you know, there takes time to, you know, for the analysis of a system, to budgeting, to actually implementation. And by the time you sometimes get to that implementation piece, it's like, well, you know, there's kind of a better mousetrap now. It's like, well, you know, what do you yeah. do? You, you just got to pull the trigger at some point because if you wait, you'll be waiting forever because there's always something new coming down the pike. That's it. And, and, and getting those systems to communicate with each other, you know, that's always a struggle that you have with any type of technology. Uh, you get one system and you get it in place and now you want to add a different type of technology. Uh, you want those systems to talk to each other and now you run into issues with that. And that's, that's always a challenge in the security field. Oh, yeah. And IT in general. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. Um, now, a lot of uh, people are also concerned with the ability to have you know, people on staff, you know, your campus public safety department, campus police department, uh, that's available to protect, protect the students. And there are a lot of measures in place, including, you know, the actual, the physical presence of campus safety officers, but there is also the responsibility of the student to adhere to policies, you know, and it's like, you know, the terms and conditions when you download new software, you check it off, who reads it, right? Uh, same thing with that, you know, policies and procedures, you know, you're a new student, here's your student handbook, you have to sign off that you, you know, agree to adhere by these, you know, these procedures. And so the best kind of laid plans and the best sort of procedures can always be thwarted by, you know, the human component, you know, for example, piggybacking, right? When somebody swipes and the person comes in next to them, well, that person's not a student, they didn't swipe, but since you did, they follow you in. Now somebody might be in that building that's not supposed to be there. Now, in your opinion, um, I don't know if you're, if you're former law enforcement or not, uh, are you? I am not. Yeah, okay. So there, in your opinion, and coming from that perspective, do you feel it's better to have the law enforcement of the campus safety department being handled by a campus police department or the community? Yeah, that's, that's, it's a great question. I would say is there is no right answer to that. It really, uh, there's pros and cons to each one of those models and hybrids in between. Um, at Missouri State, we use a, a system to where that we provide campus safety and then we contract with our local law enforcement, which is a much larger metropolitan area, and they have a substation uh, on campus where that we have our own officers, but it's through them. Uh, okay. So, uh, you know, it's it's um, many throughout the country, obviously, uh, will have their own law enforcement agency on campus. The benefit of that certainly is they know college students. So mm -hmm. you're hiring people to be able to work with students and they know the unique challenges that are being faced by students and they don't um, maybe it's an unfair uh, assessment, but they don't necessarily have that that jaded perspective of just 
running calls all day long dealing with criminals. Instead, they're dealing with college students all the time. And so that can be, that can certainly be a very, um, a, 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 a very positive aspect of it. The downside of that model can be is they're governed as part of the administration. So there's always a political pressure, uh, or potentially, I would say, the political pressure whenever you're dealing with crime on campus is, you know, you want people to feel safe at campus. And, um, you know, so the more that they see or read about it, the, the harder it is. The other thing is they may not get as much experience or training whenever there's really critical. So which is really kind of the flip side of if you use the local community, and again, it depends on whether the local community has a larger police force or smaller um, than what the campus is. But you can have it to where that, um, you know, they may have more resources if you go with the community one and they're used to dealing with, um, you know, crimes regularly, and so therefore they've got a, more depth, so they might have a full investigation division who that's all they do all the time, uh, a whole unit of it. Um, the downside, obviously, is they don't always understand the, the nuances of, you know, policing on a campus community and, uh, you know, that we want all of our students to be successful and that, uh, you know, we want to help them through some of that. Uh, so, you know, there's really, you know, the there's pros and cons to each model. They they have a lot more typically, you know, and I'm going to use our situation, which I know is, is true with others, is they may have a lot more resources for training that uh, and experience that we wouldn't normally have. For us, it works, um, but frankly is there's pros and cons to both. So I think the important thing is for a parent is, you ought to understand the model that they use and why it is they use it, uh, is, uh, uh, and what's, that, what's the reputation of the organization regardless which model that is. Perfect. And, and one of the things that I've sort of discovered in this whole, you know, should it be a campus public safety versus police is there's kind of, you know, like you said, there's pros and cons to each. When you have a campus public safety department, their focus is on the students. They have the latitude to be able to maybe let some things go, maybe to give people a second chance. It's not so black and white, maybe right. like as it would be if it was a, a police officer says, well, no, you broke the law. This is it. You know, you're going to jail. You're going to have a record. You're losing your scholarship. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, those are things that if you're not familiar with how that can affect the student in their future, uh, it could be something that's very detrimental. Uh, on the other side, having the campus actually be a full police department, well, guess what? Now all that responsibility falls on the campus police. So you better have a, a place to house someone that you're going to arrest because you have full arrest powers now, you know, and, and, there, and with that comes additional responsibilities that you can't now just sort of hand off when, it, you know, you can deal with up to a certain point and then hand it off to local law enforcement. When it's you, it's you. You're dealing with it start to finish. And so I think, you know, the, the, the trend, uh, other than some maybe big campuses that, that definitely need to do it, but I think the, the trend is that a lot of campuses are looking to start their own police department, but they're not thinking it through. And I have the discussions with multiple police officers about this. And they're like, yeah, well, guess what? You're a local police department, right? So if there's an incident and it's near your campus, the city's not responding. It's right, right. there. It's in your backyard. You go respond to it. You know, so I think that's something that they don't really think about. And I think it's going to come back and bite some of these departments because after a little while, they're going to be like, man, this is not kind of what we envisioned. And the responsibility <laughs> is going to be greater. I mean, would you agree with that? 
I, I absolutely agree with that. And I, I, I mean, I truly think you're spot on with that. There are, because certainly that is, it's, it's often nice to be able to think is, well, we want that because we've got that that control to go with it. I don't mean that in a negative way, but we've got that ability. Um, But it also has, like you say, all the responsibility. The other thing I um, often will see is uh, whenever you have a law enforcement agency, their focus is about crime and crime uh, prevention, that kind of thing. They're not thinking of safety holistically. So they're not as concerned, and I'm going to use fire safety because that's my background. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whether it's fire safety or whether it is tornadoes or you know any of the emergency management, natural disasters, um, that tends not to be the focus. It's, it's always is, well, yeah, and we do that. Uh, the other thing is with the uh, uh, you, depending on your specific situation, uh, it, it, I'm going to use ours particularly, is we're able to use our uh, campus safety non-commissioned officers to be able to go out and take care of things that police wouldn't normally do. So we can be much more personal assistance. Now, I know that there are other campuses which use law enforcement and they're able to do that, or they have a non-sworn section within theirs. And that, you know, certainly, you know, again, not advocating for any one model over another, but uh, it's a big decision for universities whenever they look at that as to how they want to structure their law enforcement. uh, They need to think it through. They need to think it through. You know, some of these things we're bringing up may not be thought of initially. And so you got to look at and talk to other schools, you know, Hey, you've got a, a police department. How has that changed things? You know, you don't, how is that different? And, and get all of that feedback because it may weigh into that decision. So very, very, very interesting. Uh, regarding the actual safety and security of the campus itself, you know, as you, as you mentioned at the top of the show, there are a lot of buildings, you know, you're not just trying to protect one or two buildings uh, and keep the people in those buildings safe. You've got a lot of buildings spread over potentially a pretty, pretty big area. And depending on if you're an open campus or a closed campus, that can be quite a challenge. Uh, Most campuses are open campuses where I was a, a public safety officer, for example, the library and the cafeteria were open to the public. So, Anybody could come in and use the library. Anybody could come in and, and get a bite to eat. You know, they just pay money and boom, they'll feed you. So that's got to be such a, such a challenge. What, what do you do or what do you recommend be done to improve the safety when you've got either buildings that also have public access or just in general when you have that sort of openness on a campus to, to keep it safer? Yeah, that's, um, you know, that really is the case is um, higher ed is so different than K through 12. And I think often we see uh, parents and administrators trying to apply the same principles from a security standpoint for higher ed is what they do through K through 12. And it's just simply different because of the openness of the campus on that. Some of the things that you often see is, first of all, is, you know, access control. How is access control uh, through keys? Uh, or is it through access swipe cards? Uh, if so, how are those systems tied in? So uh, many buildings like what you're talking about, libraries may be open to the public. And so that's not something that gets done. Um, the other thing is the use of security cameras. That's really one of uh, the kind of the infrastructure, um, the backbone to the infrastructure related to campus safety and security uh, on one where they do have such openness with that. Uh, so, you know, as a, as a parent, some of the things I would want to know is, so 
if you've got a, a, a do you use cameras? And if so, what's your policy? So uh, where do you have those located? Are they only outdoors or do you use those in buildings in common areas? Uh, are they being monitored 24 hours a day or whenever the campus is open? And if so, um, you know, what's that ratio? So do you have, you know, do you have an adequate number of staffing in order to be able to really look at those? Uh, you know, what and are who the, has access to it and that sort of thing as well. Exactly. Exactly, which is the security side of that completely on the opposite side is, um, it, it, I mean, that's a big thing. Do they do background checks and um, for those who do have access and how quickly do they terminate access? Um, there's just a wide array of things related. Security cameras can be great as a deterrent. Um, whenever you have security cameras in place, they also um, can be very helpful in solving uh, crimes uh, because you can find out about it uh, and be able to uh, provide good solid evidence uh, which helps keep the campus safe um, but they also certainly have that privacy and the concern related to it yeah video management systems are absolutely like you said they they are basically the backbone i mean other than the actual control and the access to the buildings themselves especially when you have a building that doesn't have the access control that's publicly accessible like a library, you better make sure you got a lot of cameras on that, especially on the entrances and exits, as well as in the interior. But, you know, who's coming in, who's going out? It's not just students. It could be anybody. You know, is that somebody that's just passing through? Is it somebody that's visiting a student? You know, who's coming into that campus so that if there is a problem, you can go back. You can take a look at those records and say, okay, this happened between this time and this time. You pull the camera records, you start to examine that and try to figure out, you know, who it was, where it was, and, and you know, and start that investigation, which, you know, that that's, you know, cameras are, are, are awesome for that. They can't, you know, reach out and stop a crime, <laughs> but they right. definitely, when people know they are being monitored, uh, whether or not there's audio or not, that, you know, hey, you know, there's an eye in the sky there and it's keeping an eye on me. So if I misbehave or I try to do something I'm not supposed to, there's going to be a record of it. And, uh, and it's an excellent, excellent deterrent. Uh, the, you know, the rub is trying to keep it where you can access as much as you possibly can without intruding too much on the students, yep. you know, like in the dorms. I know a lot of campuses, uh, they have cameras on a lot of the building exteriors. They have them, you know, within the, the buildings and the labs and that sort of thing, you know, keep an eye on lab equipment and the access there, but not necessarily anything other than maybe the entrance to the residence hall, which, of course, you don't want that. You know, you got kids walking down a hole in a right. robe or something like that. That can't be right. on camera. So, you, you like you're saying, you know, mom, dad, you need to find out, you know, what's that level of access, who has access to it. And, you know, how is this being best utilized to keep my child safe when they're, you know, with you, you know, being taken care of by the, by campus, uh, you know, personnel. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, and part of that is, it's easy for a campus to say is, you know, we've got 80% of our campus or 90% of our campus or 95% of our campus covered with cameras. And I'm talking about exterior areas, but, what I would say is, but what's the usable amount of coverage coverage? I, I can put a camera up high and I may be able to reach 80% of the campus with that, but I'm only looking at one area at a time. And so uh, I, I may or may not have a camera pointed towards it where something actually happens. Or it may be as, yeah, I can see somebody in the parking lot, but I can't really use it in any way to be able to identify them. So, you know, there's there's certainly not all camera systems are created equal, and I don't mean brands, but I mean the way that they're set up uh, makes a big difference on that. 
I had an interesting discussion with uh, a gentleman who represents a company that deals with body cameras. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's, that's also something now that's becoming more and more yeah. prevalent. We're seeing that, you know, on the officers are wearing a body camera. So now that camera is yeah. activated when they're dealing with a student or whoever, and now there's a record of it. So it helps them from that all, you know, he said, she said, you know, well, you know, he, the, the officers told me to, you know, to shut up and, and lie down and put my hands, you know, whatever they, they say, you know, and well, if there's a record of it, that's, that's good. The interesting thing though, is that what I was told is anytime you modify footage in any way, it's inadmissible in court. And so with these different camera systems, you may have a system that's capable of seeing for example, a certain area with a certain level of detail, unmodified, right? Mm-hmm. But the minute you modify that footage, okay, because I want to see better, and that's what gives the detail of, say, a face or a license plate or something like that, it's inadmissible. And I thought that was very interesting because I had not heard that before. Yeah. But if it's, if it's modified, it's not admissible as evidence in court. <laughs> Yeah, that is is interesting about that. I'd be curious about what the specific parameters are with that or where that, uh, that, you know, know, how that's being impacted, whether it's a state statute or whether it's uh, it's broader than that. You know, certainly we know, um, you know, you want evidence has to be pristine, you know, whenever it goes to court. but um, it's it, it, you know I, I think you'd be curious where they're defining the mo- you know what what modified means. So I, I, that's a that's that's an interesting point. I certainly look forward to looking at that. Yeah, I was going to say you know you take a look because I I don't know a whole lot about it. I just know that from this this gentleman who deals with body cameras, that was one of the things that their cameras, and and I think it basically it comes back to your eye can only see a certain level of resolution. And when you modify or enhance that resolution to be beyond what yep. the human eye is capable of discerning, it's inadmissible. Yeah, see, and, and I could certainly see how that could track through. So uh, I could certainly see how that, that, that could be entered in in court. As so concern. one of the ways that we can obviously sort of help that is with lighting. And that was something that, that uh, we had, I had seen in some of the information here that, uh, that you shared with me when you sent over is, you know, is how much of an of a impact is lighting making campus safe? And I would say a huge amount, but I'd love to hear what, yeah, yeah. what your thoughts are. Absolutely. You know, I, I look at some of those backbone systems. We talk about access control and we talk about uh, security cameras systems and uh, lighting is one of those other pillars that we have in basic infrastructure. And uh, it's, it's really one of those as a parent that you can very easily, whenever you take a visit to a campus, that you can tell. Uh, so, uh, so I encourage you to look, uh, parents to look at and see is well, what is the level of, of lighting that they have. And you don't need a meter to do anything like that. What you're looking at is how is the lighting, you know, how do you view it with your human eye? Uh, because w- we know by changing our brightness or intensity um, just a little bit in some of our lighting, because it's relative to the other areas around, it can make a big difference to that. So if you're in a, uh, you know, uh, and uh, the general area uh, of the campus is fairly well lit, then uh, it takes quite a bit in order to make one area seem brighter. So for example is um, in our parking lots, we use a higher intensity of lighting. 
than what we would maybe in some of the other areas of that in order to help deter crime. And it doesn't take much uh, in order to be able to do that. But uh, I would encourage parents to really look at it and see as well, where is it that my student is normally going to walk? You know, not all areas of campus are going to be, you know, well lit. You know, that's, uh, you know, we, we don't want to live under a, a bright light, so to speak. Um, but visit but the really campus at night. See, a lot of parents probably don't even think about that, right? You go, you visit the campus, you're doing, going there during the day, you know, you're visiting yep. classrooms and classes and you're talking to everybody. It's like, oh, this campus looks great. But you're not seeing what it looks at at night. It might be really poorly lit at night, which is a huge security risk, depending on, on where you are, et cetera that may not even be a thought in the mind right. of a prospective student or parent. Yeah, you know, and, and again, it's that um, going on campus at night and really exploring it at all times and being able to see, you know, for example, is between if, if my student's going to live in a residence hall between there and the library or between there and where they're going to eat or the, the student union, uh, wherever those, the rec center, wherever those places that, students are going to be um, going to uh, frequenting. And I would even say is uh, if you have things like grocery stores that are off campus or an entertainment district where they're going to be going to on Friday nights, then look at the, explore the lighting between there. Uh, hopefully your campus has a partnership with its community where they're looking at their college students as a whole and really looking at their overall safety. So it, it even extends beyond the campus itself because if they're going to run to the grocery store at night and it's only two blocks away, if it's not well lit, fact is the students are going to do it anyway. And so it's as a parent is, I want to look and see is have they have they been considering that? No, that's a great point because most people think about the campus itself and not necessarily where the students may go, whether it's off to the movies or to a bar or or wherever it happens yep. to be. Uh, and that's all kind of part of it. And most, you know, cities or areas where there is a college campus, they're going to be a little bit maybe more than a little bit, hopefully, uh, you know, sort of tuned into that to say, hey, you know, we know that, you know, this college is bringing in a lot of people from out of town. They're bringing in a lot of uh, money into the local economy. What can we do to keep them safer, to make them feel more welcome and want to come here? And that's, that's a huge part of it. The interesting thing about lighting, and is one of the things that I, I, I talk about, I've written about, is the problem that occurs at night to your night vision when you have bright lights. And most people don't know that on every modern cell phone, there's what's called a blue light filter. Mm -hmm. And that filter filters out the blue light, which is what is the primary cause of causing your pupils to contract and to damage your night vision. Because the minute you look at a very bright light at night, after your eyes have been accustomed to it, your night vision is disrupted for up to 30 minutes before wow. it recovers completely. Most of it will come back, you know, maybe 70, 80% of it will come back within maybe five minutes, but it will not fully be restored for up to half an hour. And so if you do have bright lights or lights on your phone, take care at night not to be looking up at the bright lights, sort of maybe shield your eyes from those bright lights so that you can have a little bit better night vision. Because if somebody's lurking in the shadows and your night vision is shot, you're not going to see somebody 20 or 30 feet away. Yeah, that's you know that's a that's a good point and 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 kind of related to that is um, whenever you're looking at lighting is is it obscured? So you often see as we have beautiful campuses with lots of 
trees on them. And yet, where are the light poles? You know, they're right there amongst those, uh, amongst the trees. And, uh, or you've got the shrubs that are around there, which create the shadows, which is going towards a point that you make is, um, because everything's about relativity on it. Again, it doesn't take much light to make it to where that something that's in the shadows you can't see, even though there's, there's not much difference between those. Right. And at night, those things are, are very, uh, you know, plus the light and the shadow can play tricks with our eyes. You know, maybe you see something and you're not, it doesn't, maybe it looks like something's there, but it's really not or vice versa. You know, it looks like it's clear, but you know, so yeah, it's, it's little safety tips really can make a big difference with people as long as that education component is being shared with them and it's done in a way that they understand the reasoning behind it. Uh, as we talked about earlier, a lot of younger kids, teenagers, they think they know more than they do, but when they are educated on certain things and it's done in a certain way that they're more receptive to it and it's like, oh, that makes sense. I didn't know that. I'm going to modify my behavior or I'm going to take more care in XYZ situation because this is something that I wasn't aware of. And I think most kids, I mean, they're at college to learn. So you have to have the ability to be taught, right? Um, they just may not be thinking about the safety aspect of that as much. And so what kinds of safety training would you say parents should expect from a campus uh, if, if they're, you know, where their child's going? Yeah, I, I, first of all, is I'd say is understand the real risk on a college campus is, is one of those important things is um, we can often be concerned not that they aren't risk, but whenever you look at the real threat. So, for example, is active shooter is certainly one of those things that people are very concerned about. And, and it's like, oh, we need to have active shooter training or whatever it might be. Um, and absolutely, they should have that. Um, but the real risks could very likely be uh, something from like sexual assault uh, or having uh, their car broken into, those kind of things. So I think, first of all, is under, get an understanding of what are your real risks with that. And whenever we talk about sexual assault, we're really, um, in most cases, we know that is between known individuals and, and often in acquaintance or, or, or relationship. So I think it's very important for parents and students to understand that. Um, and because of that, you know, as a parent, I, you know, I would really encourage you to look and see, well, what training is a university or a college uh, offering to my student for the real threats that they would exp um, potentially uh, be exposed to or, or likely be exposed to. So there ought to be some type of um, sexual assault prevention type class uh, that's available, including potentially self-defense uh, to go with that. Absolutely. Um, bystander Intervention is one of those that I really encourage it because that's about helping keep each other safe and looking at um, situational awareness. What I tell people is be an upstander, not a bystander. Stand up, up for people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I will tell you in, in the, um, those years when you're attending college are really those to where that that's an important message to get across because we know um, peer pressure, how important that is at that time, and yet it only takes one person saying something that can uh, um, you know, change the course of where it's going. And it's just simply getting them to uh, actually make that first move. And I think often at that age, students aren't willing um, to do that. So that's what that bystander intervention does. It really encourages them to be a good, a, a, a good 
friend to the others that are around them. Uh, so, you know, there's all kinds of other training. If, if you live in an area where there's wildfire, you ought to know what are those emergency procedures and they ought to have, be providing training on that. How do you evacuate? Where do you evacuate to? Uh, if you're in an area that's prone to hurricanes, same type deal, or if it's tornadoes, um, you know, whatever it might be, uh, they ought to be providing that emergency preparedness training and have it available to students to be able to take. One of the things that uh, that separates what my training that I do for schools is it's very comprehensive because as an IT security consultant and also as a martial arts and self-defense instructor, I talk about both sides of that coin. Yeah. So I can talk about how an online threat can turn into an offline threat, right? Because we used to have, it was just, you had stalking. Well, now you have cyber stalking. So somebody could be cyber stalked online and then that could actually move offline, which is obviously a much more dangerous problem, right? Same thing with bullying. You know, it used to be you got bullied, you were in the schoolyard, okay, the only people that knew about it were the people in your school. It didn't go across town or across the world for that matter, right? But now we've got cyberbullying. So again, there's something else that can be an online problem that can move offline. And of course, it can go the other way around, but I think, you know, more often than not, it's going to be a problem that it, it starts online with somebody posting something or following somebody or, or getting, you know, uh, doing some things that are uncomfortable or posting or saying things. And then that risk needs to be dealt with and treated very seriously. And unfortunately, a lot of the problems that I think we have seen as of late with some of the, the very deadly problems on college campuses, a lot of this stuff was out there on the internet. There were people talking about things, discussing things, you know, whether it's a manifesto or some sort of post or making crazy statements or even maybe not making crazy statements, but just saying, you know what, one of these days I'm gonna fill in the blank, right? And we can't ignore those threats. And so I think students have to understand that not only do you have to worry about your physical safety and well-being, and of course, a self-defense course that is done periodically, because you can't just do it once and think you're going to be an expert five years from right. now. It doesn't work that way, right? We need, just like any other profession, you need to have periodic refreshers to, to stay up to that. But you also need to understand the various threats that exist to you from the online realm and how to be careful about what it is that you say and what you post. Because what you're saying and what you're posting online could be triggering somebody, okay, that could end up becoming a problem to you or I mean I don't want to say best case but you know in a different case scenario you also just might be posting some things out there that could end up biting you down the road when you're going for a job and so yeah. not only does it have to be something that is a risk that exists to your physical safety and security today but it could also be something that you post that damages your future financial safety and security down the road Nobody wants to throw away a college education because of some stupid posts they made or some pictures that they posted online. You pay a lot of money for your education. You get out, you get a degree, you try to get a job. Well, every employer today has the means to go online and check you out. Who are you? Yep. Google this person's name, see who they are. What comes up? If you get some really things that come up that make you scratch your head and go, do I really want to hire this person? That's a long-term ramification of something that may have happened that you felt was innocuous. You know, somebody goes to be a lawyer, they go to pass the bar, right? Yep. Now all of a sudden something they did in college comes back and uh, somebody comes up to them and says, uh, explain this. Uh-oh. Yeah. And so these, it's, a, it's a very, these, these two worlds now have become so intertwined that I think 
safety and security on a college campus needs to address that. There may be things that are done right now, but there are always things that can be done that are going to complement it, that are going to supplement it. They're going to make that a more comprehensive sort of education for the students and for the faculty for that matter, right? Because we're not immune, right? They're Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, you are spot on with that. We, um, as, as you know, we almost always see that there's some type of online activity whenever we see things occur offline. You know, now that's not always true, but certainly in the majority of the cases, we know that. And so um, protecting that and being cautious and understanding about sharing and, and uh, is so key. The second step of that, though, is make sure you're reporting. And um, most Colleges uh, should have a behavioral intervention team or some type of threat assessment type team, which then can um, evaluate students to be able to make sure that, A, they're being successful um, and help those that are at risk from a student success, but also is from a, from a safety or security. And so whatever that proper reporting procedure is, most of them will have some type of anonymous reporting that you can go through, uh, or whether it's calling the, the uh, you know, campus police department. Uh, but they need to evaluate that. Whenever you're seeing behaviors or you're getting threats or you're observing it for others or things that, if, if you have a concern about it, my, my um, statement as always is, if it concerns you, you ought to report it. Because what we see in virtually all of these across the country where that bad incidents have happened, it's people knew, but they didn't, they only knew a little bitty piece of that. And once, and after the fact, once we start getting all the facts from those and what the different people knew, it was painted a very clear picture that uh, bad things were going to happen. So, you know, it was, as a parent, encourage your students uh, to make sure that they know is it's okay to report. Um, the, the fact is that you report somebody doesn't get them in trouble. Uh, it's a, it's part of more of a comprehensive one and uh, assessment whenever they really look at it rather than just isolated incidents. So, um, but, but I would really encourage them to find out is how do you report and then making sure that they know to report. So, and, and as a parent, whenever you see or hear things from your students that's concerning, make sure you call somebody. You know, and, and along the same lines that goes sort of, I think, hand in hand with that is, one of the things that I talk about in my college safety book is routines and comfort zones because we all have a certain level of comfort that we recognize when we're comfortable and we recognize sometimes when we're uncomfortable when something's happening. The ability to know your own limitations and your own limits of what you deem to be comfortable to you has to be something that you have to think about well before a situation happens. You've got to know, okay, I'm in this situation. If the situation progresses to a certain point, and, you know, we could be talking about a drinking situation, we could call it about a sexual assault situation, you need to know what is my limit. What is that line that if somebody crosses it, I know I'm going to act, whether it's leaving, whether it's reporting it, as you're saying, right? We need to report that, that incident if something happens. But try to know before you get into trouble, what is, what is that limit? What is too much? You know, what level of comfort are you willing to accept? 
what level of being uncomfortable are you willing to accept, right? Because we've all, you know, talked to people where, you know, they've got it really close into your face and they make <laughs> you really uncomfortable and they don't really know they're doing it. But, you know, you kind of back away and you're like, why is this person getting so far into my face, right? Uh, but they may or may not be somebody who's a threat, right? So right. We, we have to do things that recognize that. We have to make sure, okay, if this situation turns south, where am I going? Can I get away that way? Can I get away this way? You know, what, what am I going to do if it goes to the next level where I have to act or react to what's happening? And um, so something that's very important, yet I think it's something that most people never think of, right? Because, hey, we, we, right. We're going to, we, do, we have our routines. You know, we walk our dog down the same block. We go to the same grocery store. We drive to work probably the same way every day. We go to the gym the same time. We grab a coffee the same time each morning, right? So there are these routines that we get caught up in, and those routines cause us to be extremely comfortable, right? Yeah. We're doing the same thing all the time, okay? I expect tomorrow to be the same as today because it was the same as yesterday, right? And we think that that's always going to be the case. But I'm here to tell people, no, it's not always going to be the case. You know, something can change. And so you need to make sure that you understand why your routine can be very, very dangerous because it be makes you become complacent. And when you become yep. complacent, you drop your guard. You're no longer as comfortable or as careful because you're not maybe paying attention. It's like, yeah, I did this before. I did this before. I did this before. A thousand times before you think a thousand and one is going to be the same. And it's a yep. tough sort of thing to, to, to comprehend. But an example I like to give is, you know, if I came into your house tonight while you're sleeping and I took you and I put you in another house in another state in another city while you were sleeping and you wake up, you're going to be pretty darn uncomfortable. It's not that you're yeah. in any sort of danger, but your total comfort zone has been removed. You're in a place then you're going to feel really uncomfortable. And so I encourage people to, to think about that and to know that you have to begin to formulate these sort of what-if scenarios that, you know, if this is going to happen or if it progresses to this point, this is how I'm going to act. You know, you're spot on with that. And that's what I was thinking as you're talking is, you know, that's really about mental preparedness. It's about thinking ahead of time, you know, um, where is my nearest exit? And uh, where is my nearest window? Where's a lockable space if I needed that? Uh, you know, uh, and and all of those basic things that you're thinking ahead of time. And what we see is if I'm walking across a dark parking lot by myself uh, at night, I'm thinking about those kinds of things is what if somebody came up, what am I going to do? But what we don't think about is in our everyday activity that we do it every single day where we don't feel any threat or any concern. And so we've never really thought through that. And, and I think that is just key for people to, to, to really develop that mindset is, you know, that situational awareness and, and uh, what, what would I do, the what-if situations. It's, uh, it, it becomes instinctual for all of us in the business. We just, you watch law enforcement officers, they always sit with their back to the door. Uh, I mean, they're uh, facing the door where they can see anybody coming in. You look at a firefighter, they're going to be sitting next to the exit, uh, you know, whenever they go out anywhere, you know. So those are just things that you learn to do because you know you do see it every day and and being properly trained or getting your students to where they're aware of that will certainly uh, pay dividends 
And it becomes good habits, you know, and again, it's not that somebody's becoming, you know, paranoid or overly, you know, concerned about something. It's like, no, you're simply thinking to yourself, all right, if something were to happen, what would I do? Where could I seek cover? Where could I hide? Where could I get escape from this? Or maybe just, you know, how do I get a hold of, of my friend, you know, or mm -hmm. where is my pepper spray or my defensive flashlight? Or where is something that's going to help me if I need to protect myself, if I need to remove myself from a certain situation, what are those things and, and how can I best, you know, be prepared to do that? Uh, I was recently at the Safe Schools Conference in California and I did a couple of workshops on, it's funny what you just mentioned, the warrior mindset. Mm -hmm. And it was all about how to utilize the traits of a warrior and apply them to everyday life as a student, uh, you know, in your personal life, in your professional life, you know, your courage and your, your confidence and your, your self-control and your patience and your fortitude and all of these different traits and how important it is for us to look at a challenge, not as something that's insurmountable, but what do I have to do to get over it, under it, through it, or around it? You know, it's just something that happens to be in my way right now but you can't just give up when the going gets tough, right? We have to figure out a way to overcome those hurdles and those challenges that we all face in life every day, you know? And, um, and if we have that, that tough mindset, that mindset of a warrior, that sort of never quit attitude, that is something that's going to take everybody very, very far in life. Yeah. yeah, it's funny you say that. Whenever I'm doing presentations here on campus, I really try and reinforce this I'm trying to teach you a life skill here. It's, it's, it's beyond what I'm teaching you about the campus or how to be safe here. This is really about a life skill. And, uh, you know, that's what we're trying to do is prepare them to be successful in their life, both academically. And then I'm looking at how do we help them be successful from a safety perspective. So it's kind of like those good habits with online uh, activities, you know, um, you know, so, some of those basic things that, you know, how do we reinforce that, that, uh, the, you know, again, long-term life skills. In terms of being able to find out how safe a campus is, and I, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll, we'll sort of wrap up with this here. We're flying through our hour. Uh, yeah. Where can parents uh, or students go to learn more about the safety of a specific campus, whether or not it's, uh, you know, Missouri State or just campuses in general? Like, I know, like, when I was looking at colleges, my dad and I narrowed it down to, you know, a subset of, like, five schools, and we went and we visited each one of those schools the senior, you know, the year before my senior year, I believe, um, to do so, to, to learn about that. But there weren't these tools that are available now. So what would you recommend to people to go and, and learn more about the safety and security of the school and the area, et cetera? Yeah, I, I'm going to tell you a couple things. One is you can um, contact your local police department, uh, whether that's a community or the, the campus one uh, or a combination of those two, but they will have the crime stats for one thing. So you should be able to look at that both for the area around the campus as well as on campus. Second thing is you can visit with um, students. They're going to tell you um, some of it. It's not always accurate necessarily, uh, but they're going to tell you their perception, which is what in, you know, is much of the reality. But really, the the um, hallmark of it is the annual security report. It's required by the Clery Act, which is a federal law and applies to virtually every college campus in the United States uh, if they're receiving uh, uh, certain types of funding from the federal government. But 
it goes through and it outlines all of the policy, the safety policies uh, within the, the, the campus, uh, all those information you know how to report, and it provides all of the crime and then the fire safety stats to go with that. So you can go in, it will show you the last three years of data uh, on all of the uh, major Cleary type crimes, which is uh, pretty significant with that. And so that you can really get a, uh, a good feel. Uh, I, I, in an ideal world, you'd be able to compare one campus to another with that. We know the reality is it's, that's not always the case, um, but it certainly is a good uh, benchmark for you to be able to look at and kind of get a feel of how, how often do they have uh, drug possession, for example, or, or alcohol-related offenses or uh, sexual assaults, um, you know, car thefts, those kind of things, uh, burglaries. So, so it's really one of those that will uh, give parents that basic knowledge, I think that at least gives an initial assessment tool. But I would say is, you know, that's uh, one of those stops. I also uh, always encourage them, go to the uh, uh, the campus police department or safety department's website, because um, your website will be telling what their emphasis is about. And it will be telling is how easy it is to gain information, how transparent they are. And we know that's it. That's the first step. Awesome. And the Cleary Act is C-L-E-R-Y Act. So that anybody can, correct. you can search for that. You can find information out about that and the different stats that as a parent, as a student, you should be looking at where you're thinking about going to school. Because if you're looking at, you know, if you've got it down, narrowed down to two schools, for example, and one of them's got, you know, really scary crime statistics and the other one's pretty good, right. I, you know, the choice should be fairly clear, uh, yep. you know, given everything else being equal, of course, but uh, yeah. it definitely helps you to, to make that decision. Yeah. So I, um, so if people are interested in learning more about uh, Missouri State, uh, what's the uh, website for the our, school? Our website www.missouristate.edu, and that's all one word, Missouri State, and uh, uh, good things are happening here, and, uh, you know, we're excited about uh, our, our campus. It's a beautiful, beautiful location here in southwest Missouri. Yeah, it's a big campus too. It's I'm looking before it says about twenty six thousand uh, students. It is. It's just uh, a little school, huh? One of those best kept secrets here. Yeah, we do. That's fantastic. Any last thoughts for our audience before I let you go, David? No, I, I would say is that this is an exciting time for parents. It can be stressful. Get informed. Uh, you know, safety is one of those things that you don't want to have to be worried about. It's stressful enough. You need to worry about other things. Do your homework and then uh, get your child to do their homework too. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on Safety Talk, David. We really appreciate it. And uh, any of our listeners would like some free additional information about college safety, um, I have a six top strategies for staying safe at college that can be downloaded from guide to college safety.com. So again, thanks for being on safe talk, David. Thanks to all of our listeners for listening in and as always stay safe. Thanks for tuning in to safety talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.